This is episode 39 with Matt with one T. Matt was on fire during this interview. We covered so much. Matt had a side hustle going. He was making money coaching people, but he decided to stop that. And we talked about his reasons why. He gives three tips to read faster. He talks about his criterias to starting a new business. And we touch on the blue ocean and the red ocean, being obsessed with the idea of growth and never actually making progress, living comfortably while living creatively, and being bullied. This interview was a little bit longer than normal, but it's amazing, so much value. Let's get started. Welcome to the Dusk to Dawn podcast. My name is Lucas. I'm a maker and entrepreneur fascinated by creativity and design. And I'll be sharing these stories of people just like you and me who have a dream and are making it happen. Thank you for tuning in today. Now let's dive in. And welcome back to the show. My name's Lucas. I'm the host. And today's guest is very interesting because he actually is taking a step back in order to move forward. And everything will make sense in just a little bit. Today's guest is Matt with one T. How are you doing, man? Hey, Lucas. That was an awesome introduction. Yes. So for everyone wondering, Matt with one T, what does that mean? Matt with one T? Only one of me, and <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Lucas? I'm doing great, man. I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now, and we're just like, we just got on the call, and I'm like, okay, okay, let's stop whatever you're saying right now because we have to be recording this. Like, you you are in the zone, my man. You are in the mindset <laughs> of providing value today. Thank you. Yeah, it's... A thousand percent, because I think that comes from a few things. First and foremost, I read two books every single week. So the amount of knowledge that I have jammed in my head that I love just spitting out is disgusting. (laughs) And then on top of that, I just spent, I'm excited. I just spent the last two hours implementing one of the things I read in a book. So I'm in hyper mode right now. Awesome. How do you read two books a week, man? How do you reach the same way everybody else reads? I use my eyes and I look at the pages and I flip them every so often. That's some focus. I know, but that's some focus. Two <laughs> books a week, man. That's Yeah, I just beat my personal record. You know Richard Branson's autobiography? It's 600 pages. I read the whole thing in four days. Wow. That's some speed now, reading right there. Let me give you the real answer to how because to everyone listening, you deserve to know. I would have to put it into a few key, few, few key things. Let's put it into three steps. That's great. Number one, setting aside time. Setting aside time is huge. I I wake up at 6 a.m. every single day no matter what. Even today, I was exhausted. My body was broken down. And I ended up sleeping until 10 a.m. But I woke up at 6 a.m., took my medicine, called somebody so I could prove that I was up at 6 a.m. and then went back to sleep. (laughs) Every single day, including Saturday and Sunday, and then after 6 a.m. until 10 a.m., I'm reading. 
So I have a lot of time in the morning. But Matt, don't you speak at schools? Well, yeah. On the way to the school, I'm reading on the train. I'm reading on the bus. On the way to the school, I'm walking. I'm listening to a podcast. Set aside the time. Number two, when you're setting aside the time, make sure that you're using it effectively, meaning read more in less time. To do that, I've used a huge number of speed reading tricks. Now, here's the big thing that I think will benefit most of the people listening, and this is a good thing to have in the beginning. I listened to Jim Quick's Quick Brain, and as I was listening to it, he said something about use your finger. So I started using my finger. That got me from 15 pages an hour to 26. Then he said, I measured this. Then he said, start counting in your head instead of saying the words in your head. That brought me up another 10 pages. Then Tim Ferriss started saying, instead of using your finger from the beginning of the line to the end of the line, do it from the second word to the almost last word. So use your finger less. Now I'm reading a word a minute. I mean, I'm reading a page a minute. It comes down to using the tricks that you – so number one, set aside time. Number two, in that time, read more effectively. And then number three would be choosing your books wisely. I have a personal rule. I'm not allowed to buy – to read a book unless I buy it. What does that mean? Yeah, what do you mean? There's so much free content on the internet. Everybody can read anything. What I do – I realized that the only books worth reading are the ones worth investing in. So if I'm not going to put my money down to buy a book, why am I going to buy it? Why am I going to even read it? If I do put money down to buy the book, well, I better read it quick. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Thank you for sharing those three tricks because I'm a very slow reader. This last year, my goal was 12 books, and I actually read, like, 15, so I'm super proud of that. You're probably... Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> you're probably the, like, the 50 or 60 books a year mark. I'll get there one day. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for sharing that. I'm going to start implementing that today, and the listeners who want to get more educated and take their mindset to the next level, that's a really great start. Mm-hmm. And that's a good segue to the beginning of the episode when i said that you're taking a step back in order to move forward and i think yeah you know what i mean by that <laughs> should i just go into it dive in man all right so for everyone listening i had this challenge where i was giving one facebook live video a day where am i going to get the content well i read so much i'll just use whatever i read for the content now, after on video 100, I started feeling really bad about myself because I was coaching people at the time and I was doing these videos, but who the heck am I? I haven't done anything. I've made very little money in my life from, from my own ventures and I'm 18 years old. My, my amount of experience is minuscule. It's almost nothing. I realized Everybody in the 21st century is able to have access to the internet. And because of that, everybody's an expert. Every single person, their brother, their sister, their mother, their father, their daughter, their son, everyone's an expert. That's not enough. I figured if you look at the greatest figures in the world, the ones that we admire the most, Tim Ferriss, he didn't write his number one best-selling book, The 4-Hour Work Week, until he was actually working four hours a week and traveling the world. If you look at Gary Vaynerchuk, 
He didn't start becoming a media mogul until he brought his father's wine business from $4 million to $160 million in revenue and then created four media companies servicing the giant brand, the most big brands in the world. Click at Tony Robbins with Business Mastery, a, a five-day seminar that cost $20,000 to go into. He didn't start making that seminar until he was doing business for 30 years. Yeah. I don't know about you, and I'm sure you do too. And I'm sure all your listeners also do. I'm not here to be a small person that has a few Facebook ads. I'm here to be someone that everybody talks about. And to do that, I want to first become someone worth talking about. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. That's so true. And I was I was actually following your videos. I was I was watching them and when you stopped posting them, like what happened? And that's when we really got this conversation going and you told me about that and I'm like, man, I understand you because i felt the same way and you're 18 i'm 30 and i still feel that way <laughs> i'm like who am i to teach people or or do seminars or or anything if i'm in the process of doing it i haven't done it like to my to my mind to my standards but you took a exactly. step back on the videos and you are in college you are figuring your life out right now. And if you are listening mm -hmm. to this in college right now, tell me where you are in life right now because you took a step back on your coaching and creating videos to do what? Yes. So long, long term, I'm going to be a high-level seminar leader for the top people in the world. To do that, I got to be a top person first. My goal is to create at least three multi-million dollar businesses, no matter how long it takes. Now, why three? You ever seen in boxing where you have the boxers, the people who are there for one round and then they go down the next fight? Oh, he was a champion, but he was only kind of a champion. Then you have the undisputed champions, the ones who everyone says, uh-uh, don't even try. He won. He was there for a while. One business, every so often, someone wins the fight by accident. Three multi-million dollar businesses, that's something. On top of that, I want to do it in a way that other people can aspire to. So I have three criteria for making a business. And this will go for all three of them. Number one, <laughs> has to be a lot of fun. Number two, it has to matter, both to me and to others. So for example... If I'm making pants and everyone else loves my pants and I don't care about pants, no matter how much fun I'm making or how much fun I'm having, doesn't matter to me. Sorry, can't do it. So number one, fun. Number two, it has to matter both the people I serve and myself. And number three, it has to be profitable. Because it's kind of hard to become a multi-million dollar business if it's not profitable. Yep. And you had started the last time we chatted you had started this idea that you gave up i don't know if you want to share with us what that idea was but you realized yeah 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 all right all right so go for it because you changed your mind in the process and that's something that i like to emphasize here there's no one way to do it and like you said if you're selling pants and you're making a lot of money but you're not super passionate about pants sooner or later that business is going to fall apart because it will require a lot of dedication 
and investment time-wise and money-wise from your time to grow that business in. It's just not going to be there. And I think that's uh, a good segue to the company that you're thinking about starting and you're putting stuff together, but you changed the course of the boat. Please share that story with us. Of course. Now, first, I actually want to disagree with you. Okay. You said that if you're not passionate about the business, the business will fall apart. I personally think that's a load of rubbish because that's what everyone always says. It's not that the business will fall apart. You will fall apart. If you do the business right, you'll have people that are helping you. It will be a team. The business should not depend on you. But like you said, it still takes a lot of time. And if all your time is dedicated to something you hate, you will fall apart. So now going back into what you said earlier about me changing my mind, I changed my mind not so much because I hated my idea. My idea was that I was going to, for the people who are on strict diets, for example, I'm on the Bulletproof Diet by Dave Asprey. Fantastic diet. I recommend it to everybody. It's hard to get food. So I was going to create a food delivery service, kind of like Blue Apron, specific to diets. Now, the reason I chose not to, speaking of reading two books a week, I was reading a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. Everyone reads Blue Ocean Strategy and looks at the summary and says, oh, yeah, create places where no one else is competing. But (laughs) how many times do we all say something and not necessarily understand what we're talking about or even understand it and not necessarily have enough knowledge to act on it? So I, read it, I actually read through the entire book. I did it in two days because I loved it. And I actually <laughs> – I loved it so much I sent a handwritten letter to the authors, one in Singapore, one in France. I'm hoping they'll respond to me. Oh, I and, bet. I bet. <laughs> so what it is, this idea, there's two oceans, a red ocean and a blue ocean. A red ocean is when everyone's competing. In microeconomics, it's considered perfect competition. Or it could also be a monopoly where you just can't compete because there's no room for you. That would be considered in microeconomics a symbol monopoly. Now, on the other hand, there's a blue ocean. That's where you've done two things. You've, number one, created a huge leap in value. And number two, lowered your cost significantly. It's considered value innovation. Now, why say leap in value and why say lower costs? Number one, and for everyone listening, I'm going to give you an example as we go along. So let's take, for example, so far, do, do, do. Can we use Tesla? Airplanes? Okay, let's do that. Let's use airplanes. Southwest. Everyone uses this example, but you know what? That's okay because we all understand it. So actually, you want to use Tesla? Let's use Tesla. Let's use Tesla. So we're going to go way back to the beginning of cars, okay? Yep. When cars started, it was the horse and buggy. That was red space. Everyone has a horse and buggy. No way you can compete. Then Ford came out with the Model T, which is a value innovation. To do that, it requires two things. So first, the innovation, which is different from incremental improvements. An incremental improvement is making the horse and buggy faster or better or stronger. Value innovation is a leap. It's not something better. It's entirely new. It's a car. So that's number one. He had a value, a leap in value. If we look at, at the Teslas nowadays, the leap in value 
could be from a gasoline car to an electronic car. But wait, Matt, that's already been done. Isn't that just incremental? You're right. His cars can drive themselves. As such, leap in value. That's never been done before, and Google's cars aren't accessible to the public yet. So right now, Tesla has that leap in value for themselves. Then number two, in order for it to truly be a blue ocean, is for you to lower your costs. What do I mean by that? If you just create a leap in value and you only have innovation, what you've successfully done is differentiation. What does that mean? So if you look at GM versus Ford, Ford was a super low-cost car that was accessible to the huge public. It was a value leap. It was super well done. When Ford's car started, actually, let's forget GM, let's stick to Ford. When Ford's car started, he had huge costs to create a car. It took hours on end. But by streamlining the process, he was able to make it so that his car could be produced for almost nothing, from an original price point for the customer of over $1,000 to the final price point of between $300 to $400, 33% of the original. That's a 70% off at Macy's. It's Everyone's flocks for it. <laughs> That's by true. lowering the cost, what he, is signif- what he made possible was to be able to give it to more people. Value innovation in and of itself, changing the value will help you serve the same customers better. It might even give you a few new customers. But by lowering the cost it takes you to make it, you can make more of it. Therefore, allowing you to serve everybody. That's why SaaS and software services can be used by everybody because they cost almost nothing to distribute. So, going back to Tesla, I'm sure that Tesla is doing it best to lower the amount of money it takes for each Tesla. That way they can produce more of them for less money. And if they're producing more Teslas, more people own Teslas. Yeah, that's, so, that's, what Elon, that's what Elon was saying recently, um, that when you're willing to and wanting to disrupt a market, it's really hard to make a product that's accessible to everyone to disrupt that market right away. So you create this high-end product that a few people are going to adopt. And then, only then, with this high-priced item proof of concept, you go for the masses, which is the Model S, and now the Model 3, that's half of the price, and he's going to totally dominate it. Yes, so that, if you don't want me switching books, (laughs) and don't worry, everyone listening, we'll get back to my original plan and business and why I stepped out in a second. But let's get back to this now. So to cover what we covered so far, Red Ocean, everyone's doing the same thing. They're adding a little bit of value, making it better. They're choosing between lowering costs or differentiating by a small improvement. Blue Ocean, you create a value innovation where you're number one, Huge leap in value. You go from horse and buggy to a new car. And number two, you're lowering your costs so that it's easier for you to make and so you can provide it to more people. Now, what you just said about Elon Musk goes into Four Steps to the Epiphany territory. Four Steps to the Epiphany is a book written by Steve Blank, serial entrepreneur, starter of the lean startup movement. He was a teacher to Eric Ries, who created the lean startup And he talks about what you just said. He calls it an early evangelist. An early evangelist is someone in the beginning 
who is okay with the fact that your product isn't perfect. They just want something new. They're the people who take the new iPhone, and when everyone thinks that they're stupid and weird, they go, I have the iPhone, I have the iPhone. And you go, but the iPhone has bugs. And they say, but I have the iPhone, I have the... An early evangelist is the person who takes your stuff early despite the bugs. And then you have enough early evangelists, you go, okay, people want this, this is a thing. That's when enough people are saying, I'll test my luck. I'll have a car that drives on its own. Everyone else says, you might get in a crash. And they go, but it's driving on its own. That's an early evangelist. You're taking the risk. After enough early evangelists do it, then Elon has to switch it to strategy. Like you said, he has new models. And those models are not for the masses. They have a product that they know works and they know is proven because the risk takers adopt it. And then they slightly switch strategies to give that same product to the huge masses. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And one takeaway here that while you're saying that, it's, it keeps popping up in my mind is in order to improve, you have to get started. Mm, yes. Right? Yes, that's, that's a perfect segue back into what we were talking about earlier. So I was going to create the grocery shopping idea where I would deliver food to you based on your diet. And then I realized that's a red ocean because everyone's trying to cater to your diet now. And I frankly didn't want to have to compete with other people on that. I didn't feel different. I felt I was just a little better. And different is better than better. <laughs> Instead, I pulled back and said, let me just wait. Let me do some more learning and then I'll think of a new idea. But then, like you just said, you got to start. I had a, oh, shift moment. That's right. Oh, shift. <laughs> I realized even though I'm reading two books a week, I'm not doing anything with it. So the first thing I did was I wrote an article on Medium about the O-Shift cycle, which if you'd like, I can go into very briefly right now. Yeah, I'll definitely have that linked up on the show notes. But yeah, let's let's dive in. For sure. So the O-Shift cycle is what I went through and what anybody who's ever become anything has to have went through. O-Shift has four and a half stages. The first one is you don't know how much you suck. You're complacent. That's when... Lucas, you play any sports? Yeah. What sport do you play? Uh, right now, I'm not playing anything. But I enjoy tennis. I enjoy football. I enjoy mountain biking. All kinds of sports, man. Which, if you had to choose one, give me a sport. Mountain biking. Mountain biking. So you want to do mountain biking, you go, yo, I'm the best mountain biker, yeah. And you're complacent. You think you're okay. You don't know how that, you don't know that you suck yet. And then that's stage one, complacency. Then, boom, you crash. Oh, shift. That's when you discover that you do suck. Oh, shift. You, can, you discover that you suck. Then you do one of three things. Number one, you become hopeless, at which point we hope that you have another oh shift moment and do one of the other two choices. The second choice is you go to stage 2.5, which is becoming obsessed with the idea of growth. What does that mean? I had an ex-girlfriend who it, I cared about her deeply but she annoyed me 
because she would say, Matt, you know what? I'm going to be the best, and I'm going to wake up every morning at 4 a.m., and I have this plan, and I have that plan. And I go, okay, you're going to do it? She goes, yeah. A week later, Matt, you know, I didn't do it, but I have this new plan. Okay, babe, you're going to do Okay, perfect. A week later, I'm sure you get the point. And I said, are you going to do something? No, I just need a new plan. No, you don't. Just do it. She became obsessed with the idea of growth, of constantly creating new plans with ever needing to act on them. She knew she had to grow, but she was doing a lot of movement instead of a lot of progress. So that's stage 2.5. You didn't know you sucked. You discover that you suck. And so you become obsessed with the idea of growth. You start moving a lot without going anywhere. It's like sprinting on a treadmill. Or if you don't go to stage 2.5, you go to stage three, which is you start being awesome because you work hard. That's instead of movement, you're progressing. So with you, with your mountain biking, that's you start practicing, you're revving, you're making sure you're safe on all your flips, you put your helmet on, you do things to keep you safe. You're actually making progress. Now, at this point, you go one of two directions. Either you go back to 2.5 or forward to stage four. Why do I mean go back to 2.5? Let's say your goal is to become the safest driver in the world when you're mountain biking. And you start practicing this one flip and you become really safe at it. And you keep on practicing that one flip. There's 10 other flips to practice, but you keep on practicing that one. Why? Because you've gotten good at it. It's really easy. But what happened? Because you're no longer making progress, your action no longer is furthering your purpose. You're back into movement. You're doing the same thing over and over again for no reason. So either you go back to 2.5 and go back to movement, or you go forward to stage four, which is maintenance. So to recover so far, stage one, you don't know you suck. Stage two, you find out that you suck. 2.5, you become obsessed with the idea of growth. Stage three, you actually start growing. You're awesome because you work hard at it. And then finally, stage four, you're awesome without needing to work hard. It's maintenance. Now you're just doing your flips in the air and mountain biking without thinking about it. Yeah. But wait, is that the end of this? You said it's a cycle, not a level. Maintenance quickly becomes complacency. Even though you got better at being safe, you saw the best in the world. And eventually you're going to have another oh shift moment. That's the cycle. You're complacent. You discover you either make movement or progress, and after you make enough progress, you start maintaining your level, and that quickly becomes complacency again, and it just repeats. So that's the O-shift cycle. Does that make sense, or am I just sounding crazy? Yeah, yeah, it's a very, it's a very interest, interesting concept, and I'm trying to pinpoint how long this cycle actually takes for a person I don't, longer every time I, I i don't think there is a right answer here like it takes two weeks it takes four months i think it really depends on the time investment someone puts into their craft and what you're saying like um oh, awesome mountain biker when i actually started mountain biking that's what i thought 
like I got this mountain biking. I thought it was going to be awesome. And then as soon as I got started, the huge jumps and drop-offs, I just, I couldn't do it. There was that mental barrier there that I realized I sucked and I I didn't want to go through the work of getting over the fear. And I, I kind of just went the easy route and the trails. I, I never went through big jumps, huge mm. jumps and big drop-offs because that wasn't something that I wanted. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm just here. And, and eventually, you know, I moved on altogether and, and changed the style of mountain biking I was doing altogether. So I think that's something that when you start something different in life, whether that's practicing a sport because you want to be a pro or starting a business and you go through step one that you think you're going to be awesome and then you realize you suck and that's really hard. It's to be okay with changing shifts right there. Mm. You know, maybe, yes. maybe entrepreneurship's not for you. You tried, but move on to something different. And I think people who are in this journey, that's when everybody around them who don't have the same mindset tell them that they're wishy-washy and they change their minds all the time. But mm. it's not it's not that entirely. Yes, you may change your mind all the time, but you're trying to find your place in the world and how you can affect people around you in a bigger way and not just around you, but in the entire world nowadays with social media. And that's when mm. I think a lot of people just give up on their potential because they're trying to navigate this new ocean they're trying to go from red to blue ocean <laughs> and something really hard. Um, you just experienced that with your subscription box that you're changing now to a different idea. Yes. So what I'm doing now is I figured out, Oh shit, I'm doing so much reading, not doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. Let me create for whatever business I plan to make. I don't want to do it the entrepreneurial way. Everyone says, I'm going to bootstrap it. I'm going to be gritty and I'm going to eat dirt for six months. No, screw that. I want to live comfortably while living creatively. So I'm going to create at least two sources of passive online income. The first one is going to be an information product. As you saw in the beginning, I speak at schools. I'm a full-time student. I'm still reading two books a week. I go to the gym. I have friends. I'm talking to you. How do I do everything? I'm going to create a productivity information product, teaching people in disgusting depth how to do more in less time and not only do it in less time, but do a better job. And you decided to create, to create that product because you have experience with it. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm really good at that. If you think about it, everything I read, I just spoke to you about, these are ideas that I got from books that I read once. So that's you, it. You said you wanted that's to do decent comprehension. You said you wanted to the do two things. One is the informational online product, and what's the other one? I don't know yet. I want to make the first one really awesome first, and then then we'll figure that one out. But right now, let's. Let's really crush this one, see what I learn. And after I learn from that, either pursue another information product or pivot to something else. That's awesome. That's awesome that you know you want two, but you don't know what the second one is, but you're going to crush the first one. Oh, yeah. I already have plans. I'm going to be 
to do it, I'm going to be actually following the methodologies from the books I read. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they read a lot of either they don't read any books or they read books to say that they read books and do nothing with it. They're stuck in stage 2.5. They're moving a lot without making progress because they're not doing anything with the books they read. I'm going to be, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I messed up a lot. I'm just saying I had people who said, yo, Matt, you're not doing anything. Someone help me wake up. I'm hoping that this helps you wake up if you're not already woke. Do something with the books you're reading. I'm going to be using the books, the templates they've given to create these products. And yo, let's crush it. So true. So true. You are in college. You speak at schools. You are creating your first product that you're going to sell online. Do you... What about your friends and family? Did you have to... Because I can tell that you're a very sharp guy with a really strong mindset and you want to make it happen first. Then to go back to your inspirational and motivational videos that are going to be based on things that you have done in real life. Mm -hmm. What about your environment around you? Does that affect the way you go about your dreams? Because you are navigating through this dream forest right now. You're trying to find your path, Mm -hmm. the path less traveled that you're going to break trail. How does your environment around you affect that mindset? Mm. So in terms of how do I react with my environment or how does the environment affect me? You are extremely driven at a very young age. Did you have friends that were that way or how, how does Mm. the environment contribute to your desire to do this? Yes. So my life was always grow or die. And the reason I chose to grow is directly because of my environment. When I was a little kid, and I can name the significant impacts of my life from when I was a little kid to today. When I was a little kid, I was bullied my entire life. I was bullied nonstop. And one day, and I was, I was bullied because I was cocky. I was fat. I was chubby. I, was, I didn't know I was good looking at the time, but I thought I was ugly. And I didn't know how to talk with people. And because I had all those horrible things that I thought about myself, the only thing I had to be proud of was my intelligence. So what did I do? I bragged about it and gave everyone another reason to hate me. And so I was bullied. And then one day I came over to my dad and said, Dad, can I skip a grade? He looks at me. He goes, okay. The school said no. He then fought with the Board of Education for six months had them give me two tests that have never been done before. When he found out that one of the tests was rigged, argued with the psychologist who administered the test. And eventually I skipped a grade. The first kid in the entire district to do it. And I set the precedent for how other kids in the future will. Rephrase, I didn't. My dad set the precedent. He showed me from a young age that if you want something and you think you deserve it and you believe in it, go for it. Make it happen. Oh, they said no? So what? They don't get to choose. Find the person who does and make them say yes. 
So I was being bullied and the choice was grow and go forwards or die being bullied. My dad said grow. Then I did martial arts for nine years. My martial arts instructor, sir. I, his name, I actually call him sir. I don't call him by his real name. He was huge. Because I was bullied, I was very insecure. And I always wanted to do things. He taught me so many lessons. For example, one of my favorite, two of my favorite ones, I'm going to stick to one for now. One of my favorite ones was I wanted to learn how to do push-ups. And I said, sir, you know, the way I used to do push-ups, I had my butt in the air. It looks like the pyramid of Giza was experiencing an earthquake shaking up and down. <laughs> but I said, sir, how do I do push-ups? And he goes, practice push-ups. And I said, no, but sir, for real, how do I really do push-ups? And he said, practice push-ups. And I said, no, 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 so you don't get it. What exercise can I do that's not a push-up that will help me do a better push-up? And so after 15 minutes of this, he, I eventually decided to start listening to him. A year later, I got an award at school because I did 75 push-ups in a row. Wow. I was fat and didn't know what to do with my body. I wanted to change. It was either grow my body and my discipline or die hating myself and being made fun of for it. He taught me how to grow. Then I went to my ex-manager who I was doing acting and dancing for a bit. I won a national dance competition and he put me under his wing. And I didn't know this at the time, but he had the top 1%, top 99 percentile IQ in the world. That means he's top 1%. So I, I was, and I would talk to him every single day. So with all my decisions between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I had him there next to all of them. But he never made a decision for me. He always just gave me an option, and I chose. And because of that, I learned how to make really good decisions. And I also learned the one thing he taught me more than anything is stop trying to be a great person. Be a person and let history be the judge. What that taught me was be real. Be really real. But do it in a way that you think history will smile on you for. Then after bubbles, I call them bubbles because he taught me the best insult of all time. So, for example, Lucas, say something mean to me. Uh, Matt, you suck. Well, you can go chew a dick and blow bubbles. <laughs> But, and I said, what? And he goes, yeah, that, no one, either the other person laughs or they're confused. You win. So he became bubbles. And from the after him, I went in high school. My senior year, I had Mr. Rodriguez. He taught me about logical thinking. And finally, in, in college, I had my roommate, Michael Fabiano, a gift. When I first met Michael, I thought he hated me and he thought I was gay. Neither of us were right. And neither of us knew that the other one was thinking that. It was very awkward for the first one. But then after that, I, he saw how hard my life was because he would see me sometimes crying in my dorm room, I, mostly because of my arguments with my family. My family is a million dollars in debt, and they stayed in America so that I can go to medical school. But then I said, my heart's not in medicine. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go into the speaking, into the business. There was 16 months that my father and I couldn't have a normal conversation without 
us yelling at each other. 16 months. And that's when he started really helping me. And the biggest thing to give you an idea was I said I wanted to speak at high schools. But then I said, to, I was crying because I said, who am I to speak at a school? How do I do it? And he looked at me. He gave me a hug. He let me cry on his stomach. He sat me back up and said, now what are we going to do? What? What are we going to do? You want to speak at a school? What do you need to have to speak at a school? Well, I need to speak to the principal. Well, then what do you need to have to speak to the principal? I need to understand. I know I need to know the therapist, the school's number so I can get because the therapist talks to the kids the most or the guidance counselor. Okay, what do you have to do to talk to them? I have to present. And I started going through all the things I needed. And then I found all the things I could make or that I already had. I then called 30 schools in a 10 mile radius of Rutgers University where I am. Called them every week for a month and a half. And I got booked at two schools. Not because I was on my own because I'm this warrior, but because when I was at my lowest, I had a roommate who gave me unconditional love and then said, what are we going to do about it? So from the very beginning, a dad who always taught me to go for the best, a martial arts instructor that taught me discipline and hard work and fail a lot, but do it well, an ex-manager who taught me about incredible decision-making, a roommate that is basically my right-hand man. I'm straight, but he's – so he was wrong. <laughs> he's happy about that. <laughs> but he's very happy about that considering we live in the same room. But he's a 1,000% my right-hand man. If I didn't have my environment around me, I don't even want to think about it. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being able to do it in a way that you connect the dots as you talk about it. It's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your journey to get to where you are today and to get to who you are today. You are my pleasure. a college kid from a dorm creating an impact in the world. I mean, it's all over, <laughs> all over your name, Matt, with one T, that it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your circumstances. You can always make good choices for your life. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, a thousand times yes. And It's, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I speak at schools four to five days a week, and I go to schools in the Bronx and I go to schools in Middle Jersey. Wow. I see firsthand the impact of decisions. The kids in Middle Jersey, the only difference between them and reality, because if you think about it, a good school is where the kids get good grades and have a good culture, a bad school is where the kids have bad grades and there's a bad culture. Are there environmental factors? A thousand percent, and that makes it a lot harder. But if you think about it, the decision is, do I study? Do I not study? Do I smoke marijuana? Do I take LSD or do I drink water and go back to the books? The kids try to pretend that it's because of where they live. But there are even kids who come out of the inner city with A's. It's not about where you live. It might be harder if you're not privileged. Privilege is a real thing. 
If you're not privileged, it's harder. But it's still your decision. I agree. There is this video I watched recently about privilege. I don't know if you've seen this video. Everybody lines up and a coach starts talking to people. You know, if you if your parents are divorced, stay where you are. Everybody else is stepped forward. If mm-hmm. this and that. Have you watched that video? I'm going to have this on the show. I love notes. that video. And then at the end, it's like, okay, now let's start the race. And people who were less privileged, they were so far behind than the people who were privileged. But then when they actually raced, and I think the meaning of this race is life, people who are in the back of the line were able to win. And this video is so powerful, man. I I love that you've already seen this video because while you're saying all those things in the Bronx and being less privileged, but doing something from your circumstances, it's like, oh, that video, it's just boom, perfect real life example there, easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's real. It's definitely real. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your story. You have so much value to provide to this world. And (laughs) I would be so, so interested to see where you are just a year from now, two years from now, where you are in your journey. This whole thing is amazing. Met with one team. Go ahead. I hope that's an invitation back. Man, that's that'll be some sort of series that I'm definitely going to do in the future, following up with every guest two years, a year from now, to just document the journey, little pieces here and there. Fantastic. Now, before you close off, do you mind if I just summarize for everybody everything I said so far today? Go ahead. Just to make it easy. I know I said a lot. I tend to do that. <laughs> so I want to make sure it's very easy for everyone. The first thing we talked about in the very beginning was about creating a blue ocean, which is creating value innovation where you create a leap in value, something that's different, not just better, a car instead of a better horse and buggy for a lower cost from $1,000 per car to $300 per car. Then we talked about the four steps, the epiphany and early evangelists, finding a small group of people who are risk takers who will take on what you have to offer. And once they prove to you that you have something good, giving it to everybody else, kind of like the Tesla, creating self-driving cars, the people who are willing to try it out, and then creating new models for the masses. Then we talk about the O-shift cycle, like with you, Lucas, and your mountain bike riding. Step one, Stage one, you don't know you suck. You think you're the greatest mountain bike rider, but in reality, we all know... <laughs> Stage two, you discover you suck. You find out you're not that good at mountain biking. Stage 2.5, we hope you skip this one, but you probably won't. Movement, you're obsessed with the idea of growth. You're buying all these new helmets and pads and everything, but you're not actually getting better at mountain biking. Step three, progress. You're awesome because you work hard. That's when you're starting to practice. Stage four, maintenance. You've gotten better. Now you want to stay better, which quickly goes back to the first stage of not knowing you suck and being complacent. So that was the O-shift cycle. And then we just talked about after that the effect of your environment, which evidently, yes, you are affected greatly by your environment. So please surround yourself by amazing people. 
And for those who say, but I don't have amazing people, first step, cut off everybody who is not amazing. It was actually proven scientifically that no company is much better than bad company. So have a great environment or have no environment as long as it's not bad. And then from there, your decisions. So even if you do have a bad environment, it is your decision if you keep that bad environment or if you get rid of it in order to get a better environment. If you have a good environment, it's your decision if you're going to use it to the max. If you're in the Bronx, in the inner city, or if you're in the suburbs, it's your decision whether or not you study, regardless of where you live. And then finally, Lucas is going to have an awesome series later. <laughs> yes, I will, man. I will have the follow-up series with all the guests I've had on the podcast to document a little bit of their journey, see where they are at two years from now, a year from now. And the last question, my man, what was holding you back from making it happen? Ooh, what was holding me back? <sighs> my first thought is fear. Definitely fear. Because I love creating things. And when you're creating them, doesn't matter what other people think. Just create something cool. I was scared, and I still am scared, that I'm going to create something nobody wants. I'm going to create something I'm going to fail. And even if I learn from it, failing still sucks. Call a spade a spade. It hurts. So it was holding me back. And I say it's no longer anymore because I realized the best way to get work with fear is to after you acknowledge that you have it, Goya, get off your anatomy. Move it. Go. <laughs> Fear isn't able to speak as much when you're so busy moving. So that's what I'm doing. I'm acknowledging the fact that I'm still terrified beyond my wits, but I'd much rather move. So I'm moving. Matt with one T. Thank you. My pleasure, brother. Thank you, Matt, with one T. We could have gone a lot longer. It was such a pleasure to interview him. And guys, what are you doing with the books you read? We talked about his productivity course in this interview, and he just released it. And I enrolled. So far, it's been awesome. It's called Productivity Despite Distractions on Teachable.com. The course covers doing the right thing at the right time, our biological prime time, slowing down to speed up, choosing the perfect workplace, how to cut down on too much coffee, which I probably need to do that, the foundations of discipline, making our decisions motivating, clear, believable, and manageable, and much more. It's such a great course. The link is in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as I did. I'll see you guys next Saturday. Cheers. Cheers.